are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to read from two um, short verses this evening. John chapter 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. And right after that, I'm going to jump to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So that's a few pages away. But if you're using a smartphone, that's a few taps away, okay? So John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples And it says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Amen? Acts 1, verse 8. And now this is Jesus speaking to the disciples after he died, rose again. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll jump into the message that God has for us. Father, we thank you for your presence here. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are gathered here tonight. Thank you that you're moving in this place. God, may you continue to move. Open up our ears and our hearts. Speak to us. We want more of you. We thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, The title of my message tonight is Faith for More. Can you say that with me? Faith for More. All right, Faith for More. That's the title of my message And uh, I believe every single person that's here tonight, we have people from Bergen, we've had people from uh, Wayne, we have people from Queens, we have people from all over gathered here in central New Jersey because I believe you're hungry for more of God. Amen? All of us are here because we're hungry for more. And now I'm thankful that God uses pain. God's not the author of pain, but God uses pain. And I'm thankful that he does because oftentimes it's through pain and difficulty and suffering that God takes us deeper in faith. But I don't want a faith that's solely motivated by discomfort. I don't want a faith that's solely motivated by my troubles and my hardships. But I want faith that's fueled by hunger. A faith that's fueled by hunger. And like I said, I believe everyone is here. You know, you you could have been anywhere else this Saturday night. You're giving it up because you're hungry to encounter the living God. So the reason why we gather together in the first place is because we believe that in faith that there's more available in the things of God. Right? So I want more of God. I want a faith that's fueled by hunger, motivated by hunger. But if I'm honest, I don't need faith in my daily routine, right? Anyone else can honestly say that, right? Like, I don't need faith to put my alarm on snooze when I wake up, right? I don't need faith when I drive to work. I pray that there's no traffic, but there's always traffic. I don't need faith to go on a coffee break. Like, I don't really need faith on the daily basis, if I'm honest, to have genuine faith every single moment because there's more, amen? Because there's more of God to experience. There's more of his kingdom to be established. And I want a faith that's active every single day. An active faith, a daily faith that's with me, that's needed every single moment by moment. And not a faith that's relegated to crisis mode only. I want a, a daily faith, a moment by moment faith. And I believe the only way we could truly experience God to the fullness that he has for us The only way we could truly establish his kingdom here on earth is by having that faith for more. Right? Turn to your neighbor and and ask them, do you have faith for more? Turn to your other neighbor and ask, or are you just going through the motions? Because I think unless our faith is rooted in a person of Jesus Christ, 
It's easy for us to just go through the motions. It's easy for us to just go and give lip service to God, check off a spiritual box, feel good about myself, pat myself on the back, and just go on with my daily life. But I want a faith every single day, a faith for more. But what I've noticed is that however much of Christianity today has become believe the right set of beliefs, behave morally until either you die or Jesus comes back. Right? Just believe the right things, have the proper theology, behave in a right way until the day you die or Jesus comes back. So because that's what most of Christianity has become, I'm not surprised that our generation has walked away from church, has walked away from faith. Why? Because it literally takes zero faith to live that way. But God has something more for all of us here. I believe our desire as a ministry is to see people encounter God, to immerse them in the kingdom of God so that they could go establish and expand the kingdom as well as declare and demonstrate the kingdom wherever they go. First within, then without. Right? Because there's more available for us. And I believe that's the purpose, the vision, the mission that Jesus gives us. Amen? The great commission to go make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say to make converts. Amen. It doesn't say to make churchgoers. It doesn't say to make people who believe the right set of things, but disciples, people who genuinely actually follow Jesus. That's what we're called to do and and to establish the kingdom. That's the vision, the purpose, the mission Jesus gives. But Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this, where there is no vision, people perish. Or other translations say where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And the second part of that verse is this, but blessed is he who keeps the law, right? Why is that? Because if there's a vision, if there's a purpose, if there's a mission I'm living for, right, there's certain guidelines and standards I hold myself to because I'm living for something bigger than myself. Am I making sense tonight? Right, where there is no vision, people perish. So most people, I believe, that go to church, grow up in church, go to Sunday school, the, the reason why most of them walk away isn't from, from the faith, isn't because the world is more satisfying, but because it's actually easier. And what ends up happening is that we've settled for what we can do in our own strength and what we can happen, make happen on our own. And, and we see that not just in religion and church programs, but even in how we fill ourselves, right? If you're lonely, right, it's easier to hook up than it is to commit. Right? If, if I'm looking for happiness, it's easy for me to go for something cheap than it is to contend for joy. Right? We don't go to the world because it's more satisfying, because it's actually easier than, than the faith that God has for us. But how many of you know that anything worth having is worth fighting for? Right? Anything of value is worth fighting for. And I believe that God wants to uh, uh, stir within us tonight a faith for more, because there's more available. Right. So, so as we see people go and do their things and, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old, right? Don't ask how old. I won't tell you, right? Right. This is a perfect time for you to test your gift of knowledge, right? Word of knowledge. And, and I'll let you know if you're right or wrong. But, but I've seen so many people go on missions trips and, and serve with me in youth group, you know, uh, witness to their friends in high schools. And a lot of them have walked away from faith. And I'm not saying that to shame them or or to, you know, whatever, but just to say the reality of so many people have walked away and and it's amazing what people would do in the name of fun, but yet won't do for the name of Jesus. And I believe God wants to stir up a faith within us to just respond to him uh, and to just go after him with all that we have. We need to go beyond the mentality of how close can I get to sin and still make it to heaven? And embrace people who will be like, how close can I get to the king so that I can see heaven invade? We need to shift our mentality because there's something more for us. Thomas Merton, he's an American Trappist monk. He was an author. He was a writer in the last century. And this is what he says. He says, the biggest human temptation is to settle for too little. The biggest human temptation is to settle for too little. If I'm honest, I believe settling is more damaging than sinning. Right? People who settle 
are, are, are setting themselves up for more harm in the long run than, the, than people who are sinning, right? So those people who are compromising, backsliding, whatever, yes, they are sinning, but the reason why is because they're settling. They're settling for something less than God has for them. Right? I, uh, as a ministry, we encounter a lot of young people, and there's a lot of young people here, I think, but most of, y- of y'all are Asian, so it's hard to tell, right? I think most young people today, they're dead at 17, but buried at 70. Because there's something within that's dead because they're looking for something more. And I believe that as people who've tasted and seen the goodness of God, it's now on us to share it with other people. Right? Because only when you encounter Jesus can you embody Jesus to the world. And I believe tonight is one of those nights where God wants to encounter you to remind you that there's more than what you've seen thus far. There's more than what you've experienced because God is an infinite God. And God wants to do more in us tonight than we could even imagine. So we need to fight through much of uh, just some of these thinking and attitudes that we've had. Uh, And I think another one of those things that the church has embraced today is a survivor mentality. So what ends up happening is, is that Religion says, you know, the world is sinful, you're sinful, it's only getting worse. So just keep behaving, keep being moral to the best of your ability until you go to heaven. But did you know that you're not a survivor? You're an overcomer, amen? The Bible even tells us that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. So the goal of the Christian life isn't to survive but it's to overcome, it's to actually rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Right? You know that God wants to give you influence so that you can make a difference, amen? Right? In your workplaces, in your homes, in your friend groups, wherever you go, that, that no matter what situation you're in, light always overcomes darkness, amen? No matter how dark it might be, the light might shine only a little bit, but the light always overcomes darkness. That's who God called us to be. So we need to get beyond just surviving, just leading a moral life. Now, obviously, I'm not against morality, amen, right? Amen. Some of you are like, no, I'm not sure right now, right? But I'm not against being uh, uh, moral because I believe Christians ultimately are meant to be the people of utmost character and integrity, amen? But they're supposed to be the most loving people. But I believe the defining word for Christians isn't moral, it's supernatural. Right, the defining word of how the world should see Christians are, aren't just, oh, they're moral people. They're well-behaved. Right? That should be part of it, but ultimately is their life makes no sense because it's supernatural. God has called us to live a supernatural life because there's more than what we've seen this far. There's more than what we've experienced. There's just more that needs to be done. So look at the verse that we read together tonight in John chapter 14, verse 12. I'm going to read it one more time. And it says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, if Jesus says what he means, and he means what he says, think about the implications of this verse right here. Jesus not only says that we'll do the same things that he has been doing. Anyone here five, uh, feed 5,000 people before, right? No, right? But Jesus is saying that we'll do the same things that not only did, that he did, but even greater things than these. Right? Jesus isn't saying this to ch- just encourage us because he knows we're going to fail. Right? Amen? He's not like, man, these are sinful people. I got to tell them something. Father, what should I say? Tell them they'll do greater things. Like, you'll do greater things. Like, No, Jesus said this because it's true. And look at the reasoning. He says, those who believe in me will do the same things I have been doing and even greater things than these. Why? Because he's going to the Father. Why is that important? For the next few chapters, Jesus says that that's so important because only if he goes will the Father send the Holy Spirit. Think about this. If Jesus was literally in your life, like with you all the time, how many of you think that your faith will be better, right? No one. Okay, anyways, right? I'm going to act like all your hands went up, right? So that my sermon works. So if Jesus was literally with you every single day, 
like, it'll be easier to have faith, right? It'll be easier to not feel as lonely. It'll be easier because, you know, he's just the living word. So he'll just give you Bible verses straight, like when you're discouraged. He'll literally take the wheel when you're going to work, you know? But check this out. Jesus, a couple chapters later in John chapter 16 says this, it's better for you that I go to the Father because then you'll have the Holy Spirit. Right? We think that if Jesus was literally with us all the time, like physically, like faith would be so easy. It would be so amazing, man. The disciples had it good because they were with Jesus. Man, I would believe Jesus if I saw the miracles with my own eyes too. But Jesus himself says, it's better for you that I go to the Father because then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Because then you'll have the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus says we'll do greater things than he does, Because he's going to the Father and he's sending us the Holy Spirit. But we're not seeing the works of Jesus. We're not seeing the presence of Jesus. We're not seeing the miracles of Jesus. His love, his forgiveness, his grace to our brothers and sisters, right? It doesn't have to be like so out there. It could be tangible like forgiving people for offending you, you know? If we're not seeing it, how many of you know the lack isn't on God, it's on us? God is perfect. If there's a discrepancy between what Jesus is saying and our life, it's not so that God shames us. It's not to condemn us, but it's to stir up a hunger within us so that we can have faith to go after it. And I believe tonight God wants to stir up our faith to go after more that he has for us. So how do we get there? I believe it starts with the filling and encountering the Holy Spirit tonight. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need the Holy Spirit. Turn to the person behind you and say, you definitely need the Holy Spirit. Right? The key for that faith for more is a fresh feeling and encounter with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in Zechariah chapter 4, it says, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. So look at the other verse we read tonight. I'm going to read it one more time. Acts 1 verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if we're going to have power and really be who God wants us to be, then we obviously need the Holy Spirit. So if you look throughout the gospel, much of Jesus' instructions to his disciples leading up to his crucifixion and after his resurrection uh, was mainly about being filled with the Holy Spirit. As mentioned before, John 16, verse 7, Jesus says it's actually for our benefit that he goes so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. So the question then is, who is the Holy Spirit? To understand who the Holy Spirit is, I'm going to do some quick Bible study. I know you got great pastors in this church, amen? Right, only this side, right, has good pastors. Right, I know we know it, but but I just want to run through it real quick so that we can understand the Holy Spirit together and go where God wants us to go. So the first thing we need to understand if we're going to know who the Holy Spirit is, is to know that our God is a triune God. We serve the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it's a mystery of the faith. It's something that we only know by revelation in the Word of God. It's not something we figured out. It's not something we discovered. It's something that's been revealed to us by God himself. So in my own journey to try to understand God, I try to understand the Trinity through human examples. And some of them is is water. Water, for example, exists as solid, liquid, gas. Right? It's one, uh, I don't know what the scientific word is, right? But it's that one thing, you know, but replace it with the scientific word. But exists in three different states, another scientific word, right? That's water. It's three in one. Are you guys with me? Another is an egg, right? What, what's an egg? What makes up an egg? Is it the shell? Is it the egg? What is it the yolk? No, it's all those three things together that makes an egg. And, but yet, these are just simple things to kind of help us going with the Holy Spirit. And, and one theologian says this, to try to understand the Trinity is to lose one's mind. To deny the Trinity is to lose one's soul. All that to say it's a part of our faith. It's something that's a, a revelation. It's a mystery. And if we could fully figure out God, then how many of you know that he ceases to be God? Right? If God is someone that we could fully figure out and explain, then we have made him our creation rather than our creator. Right? But because he's greater, the only things we know are the things he wants us to know, and that's all he wants us to know. 
Amen. I'm good with that. Right? So in essence, the Trinity, once again, it's God existing as Son, Father, Holy Spirit. It's three persons in one being, the Godhead. They coexist. They're equal. There's unity. And, and in 1 John, it also says this, that God is love. Amen? Oh, right? God is love. If God is love, love by definition is relational. Therefore, God can't be love if he was just only one. So anyways, God is is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I believe for us as human beings, it's easier for us to understand Father and Son. Amen? Those are easier concepts for us to understand. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the tricky one because sometimes people call him Holy Ghost. And the only ghost I know is Casper, right? Because he's a friendly ghost, right? I don't want ghosts from haunted movies. They're like demonic, right? And I think that's why people are confused. Like, oh, sometimes it's called the Holy Ghost. Is that biblical? Are ghosts real? You know, you go to this weird place. You know, we think the Holy Spirit's kind of like the force, you know, from Star Wars because he, like, moves things, you know, right? You watch YouTube clips and people fall down. It's like, oh, that's the force right there, you know? And, and we think the Holy Spirit is a feeling, an energy, an emotion. But if because the Holy Spirit is God, he is a person. Can you say that with me? The Holy Spirit is a person. Awesome. We're getting there, right? We're, we're getting there. The Holy Spirit is a person, and as a result, he has a will, he has intellect, and he has emotion. But the Holy Spirit is a person, he has a will, he has an intellect, and he has emotions. And as such, as a person, Jesus says that you need the Holy Spirit. There's multiple roles that he plays. Jesus tells us throughout the Gospels. One of them is helper, there's teacher, there's guide, there's counselor, there's advocate, And one of them is also comforter. Have you ever wondered why the Holy Spirit is known as the comforter? The reason why the Holy Spirit is the comforter is because when you truly have faith for more, it'll cause you to take steps of faith. It'll cause you to take risk. It'll cause you to leave your comfort zone. And unless you leave your comfort zone, you don't need a comforter. The Holy Spirit is comforter because he calls us out of the comfort zone to follow him where he wants us to go. So so as that, he does many different roles. One of them is to make us into children of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says the spirit of adoption. God's spirit joins with our spirit so that the only way you could confess and cry out, Abba, Father, is through his spirit. Right, the spirit of sonship. He makes us into children. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit is a seal of guarantee. It's a deposit that, the, that what Jesus has purchased with his blood, he'll make good of it when he returns. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is that he sanctifies us. He sets us apart ultimately so that he could make us into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that the image that the Holy Spirit is trying to make within you isn't necessarily Jesus on the cross? The image of Christ that the Holy Spirit is committed to birthing in you is the resurrected Jesus. Amen. It's Jesus with power. It's Jesus with authority. It's Jesus knowing who he is before the Father. Right? That's who the Holy Spirit's committed. So that's where uh, character, integrity, refining comes into play. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it simply tells us that our heavenly Father's dream and desire is to make you and I into the likeness of Jesus. I love how it's written in 2 Corinthians verse 3, verse 18, in the New Living Translation, and it says this, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Amen. So with that comes the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, joy, and self-control. I went to seminary, glory to God. The gifts of the Spirit are throughout the New Testament. One of the places is 1 Corinthians 12. And like any fruit, it requires us to cultivate it. And like any gift, it requires us to activate. So fruits need to be cultivated. Gifts need to be activated. All that to say that to see the fruits of the Spirit in our life, to see the gifts of the Spirit operating in our life, it requires us to partner with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God's desire is to partner with you and not to make you into a robot? Isn't that what we do? It's like, you know, we go somewhere, we go to the mall, we see this person, and we feel like, man, you know, 
I feel like I'm supposed to talk to this person or bless this person. And we pray, Holy Spirit, if you want me to, you'll do it. But how many of you ever prayed that prayer before? Or like prayed the prayer like, God, please let me ignore this conviction in my heart. You know, let them leave. And we think that it's now up to God to make us walk to this person, like, you know, against our will to talk to them. But the thing is, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to fill you so that you could be a robot, but so that you could be a co-heir, co-laborer with Jesus Christ. I think one of the things that this might be controversial, but I, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, right? Right? Um, what I'm about to say does not represent pursuit all the time, even though Danny said I am pursuit, right? So, so just take it as it is. In the Bible, we see that when the Holy Spirit comes, a lot of people pray in tongues. Some of you might be like, I don't think that's true. Just, just stick with me, right? We think that if it's genuinely tongues, God would take over my mouth and my tongue, and I'll just start doing things I don't want to do. I think sometimes it happens that way, but like in all things in faith, it requires what? Faith. God's not going to do something You know, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to walk to some person to tell them about the gospel beyond my own self-control, right? I'm not going to be with my, with Danny and, and all of a sudden I start walking another way. He's like, Pastor Sam, where are you going? I don't know. The Holy Spirit's literally leading me right now, right? It's not going to happen like that. It requires us to partner with the Spirit. All things of faith. Why? Because it's gifts that need to be activated and fruits that need to be cultivated. Some of the times we pray prayers that God changed me. And I believe he wants to answer that prayer, but he doesn't bypass our free will. Why? Because it's discipleship, not God doing whatever he wants. He needs to partner with people to, to make us into the image of Jesus. So anyways, last but not least, this is real quick. I believe the Holy Spirit brings us back to power. I believe with all my heart, only Christianity offers true, eternal, everlasting hope. Amen. But the answer that this world is looking for isn't in, you know, people living their truth. It isn't in people doing their thing. It isn't in success. It isn't in wealth. It isn't in popularity or being famous or rich or whatever. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. But the only way we can really truly see that take place is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you can't be his witnesses. You can't even truly testify to what God has done in your life apart from being filled with the Spirit. Because that's the source of power. Right? How many of you know that my iPhone is, is awesome? Right? If you like Android, we love you too. Right? But I love my iPhone. But If it doesn't have battery, if it doesn't have power, right, I should actually have my iPhone with me, but like, I'm like holding like a fake phone the whole time, right? You guys are like, what's wrong with this guy, right? I'm going to stop this thing, right? If my iPhone doesn't have power, it doesn't matter how many gigs it has. It doesn't matter how good the camera is. It doesn't matter if I have my favorite playlist on it. If it doesn't have power, it's useless, in the same way, if we're truly going to be witnesses, if we're truly going to be disciples, if we're truly going to be the salt and light of the world, how many of you know that we need God's power to do it? If we could save the world by human understanding, human ability, us brainstorming, trying harder, performing, striving, you know, building great buildings like this, if we could do it on our own ability and strength, I believe we would have done it by now. But think about some of the, the, the troubles that's facing our world today. It's 2019, but for some reason, it seems like uh, some of these issues that has plagued this country, like race and all these things, it's, it's more difficult now than ever before. But if by human ability, by our compassion of our own heart, our own big ideas, if we could do it alone, we would have done it already. But some of these huge problems, God-sized problems, requires God-sized answers. And I believe it starts with God's people being filled with God's Spirit. He wants to fill us with the Spirit. Why? Because that's the source of power. I believe only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind, cleanse the leper, heal the cripple, free the addict, cast out demons, and raise the dead. Amen? But that's not just stories relegated to some time ago or stories that's just written in the Bible, but it's a blueprint of what's available for us today. 
but it's a blueprint for what we're able to access today. But most of us, we are just settled into just behaving, surviving, instead of fighting for faith for more that God has for us. Now, I'm not against going to the doctors, amen, right? Right? I've heard it said this way, brother faith has a sister named wisdom. Glory to God. But what man can't do, I believe God can. He's able and he's willing. That's the God that we serve. And I believe it's only normal for us as believers then to have an appetite for the impossible. It's only normal for us to have a passion to see impossibilities bow at the name of Jesus. Right? In other words, it's having faith for more. Because sometimes we face struggles and and circumstances and situations that seem so big, right? We we hear that people has a terminal illness and, and, you know, we're so shaken by it. But, you know, obviously we're meant to have compassion, but Lord, but I I don't want to be intimidated by anything if Jesus is for us. Are you with me? I want to have that kind of faith, right? Faith for more, an appetite for the impossible. To see impossibilities bow at the name of Jesus. To see people healed. Sometimes they won't. I, I I can't explain it. But I'm not going to bargain my faith with my disappointments. I want to contend for more. So we see Jesus teaching his disciples, instructing the early church, you need the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away for you. And the, whole, the early church, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost came, and they literally turned the world upside down. Amen? So if the early church needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we today? And not only that, Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Right? You guys are looking at me like, I don't even know who that is, right? That's some of the way you guys are looking at me right now. But Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. First of all, Jesus is the standard of what it means to be a Christian. Amen? Can we agree on that? He's the only normal Christian to ever live. So everything Jesus does and how he lives isn't just for us to admire from a distance, but for us to become like as his disciples. Amen? Right? Jesus, all that he does isn't so that we can say, oh, that's so good, but so that we can say, I want to be like him. That's the purpose of a disciple, is to become like our master. So, so check this out. Everything Jesus does in the Gospels, I need you to understand this. He does it as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Amen. Another mystery of the faith. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that even though he's fully God, he laid down his divinity, humbled himself, uh, took on the form of a servant, and became a man. Right? So he chose that. He never stopped being God. He just chose to not uh, use all of his powers through that means. Instead, he did it as a man, as a person like you and I, anointed by the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Father. So Jesus, he's born, right? Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit, another mystery, another miracle. He's born. He lives his life. We don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, he shows up at the age of 30. He goes to the Jordan River. His cousin's there, and he gets baptized. How many guys know this story, right? So Jesus shows up. You know, long story short, he gets baptized. He comes up from the water. A voice says, this is my son. With them, well pleased. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus. And I believe it's in that moment that Jesus Christ is anointed with the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a difference between just being filled with the Spirit and being anointed with the Spirit. But as a believer, you're you're filled with the Spirit the the moment you're born again. Amen? Why? Because we're born of the Spirit. But he anoints us so that we could do the works of the kingdom. So he fills you with the Spirit for you, but he anoints you with the Spirit for others. Am I making sense? So Jesus, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. The dove descends upon him. And it's from that place Jesus goes on to preach, teach, heal the sick, raise the dead, do miracles, all these different things. Why? Because he's modeling for us what it means to follow God. Amen? He's modeling for us what our life is meant to look like. It's meant to be in obedience to the Father, in intimacy with the Father, Filled with the Holy Spirit declaring who God is wherever you go. So I want you to get this. Jesus preaches the gospel before he ever dies on the cross. Amen? 
Did you know that? The gospel makes it clear that Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom before he ever died. Right? Jesus, this isn't, you know, back to the future. He's not like, guys, I died on the cross. I rose again. That's part of the good news. Are you with me? But Jesus is preaching good news before he dies. Why? Because the good news is the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus' is death seals it forever that we get to be part of a kingdom that's unshakable. Am I making sense? So Jesus is teaching, preaching, and demonstrating and declaring the kingdom of God wherever he goes. How does he do it? Once again, he does it in obedience to the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit. So once again, he does it as to set an example to show us how to do it. So I believe everything Jesus does, it's to ultimately tell us God's kingdom is coming. His kingdom coming is good news because in his kingdom, people go from death to life. They go from sickness to wholeness. They go from sin and bondage to freedom. That's good news. Amen. Right? They go from depression to joy. They go from, you know, all these different things because that's good news. All of that is to tell us that God is a good father. I believe Jesus' greatest revelation to the world is that there is a God. He's a good God. He's a holy God. And he's father. So Jesus does what he does to tell us what the father is like. One of my favorite miracles in all of the Gospels is Jesus healing the blind man with mud. How many of you guys know that story of Jesus healing the blind man with mud? I love it because it's so unique, right? It's kind of even offensive if you're the blind man, right? Like you're blind, you just want to see, you know? You want to know what that's like. And all of a sudden you hear that there's this guy, he used to be a carpenter, but he heals the sick. And he's like, yo, he's coming your way. He's about to pray for you. Like, yes, my miracle is on its way. You're like, Jesus, pray for me. But instead of praying, Jesus starts hawking loogies. You're like, what? what's, what's that noise? Is Jesus spitting? Like, what's, is he sick? Like, does he have a sore throat? Like, what's going on? So Jesus spits in the ground. He makes some mud. Like, how many of you know it takes mad spit to turn dirt into mud? You know what I mean? Like, does he have like a Poland spring bottle? Like, what's he doing, you know? Right, so Jesus makes mud, and then he puts it on the blind man's face. No, I might be blind, but I'm throwing punches, you know? Like, if someone's putting mud on my face, I'm throwing punches. But yet, after that, the blind man is able to see. Have you ever wondered why Jesus does some of the things he does? I think Jesus is honestly mad weird. Like, he doesn't make sense. He's like, Jesus, why? Why would you do that? Right, Jesus always does things with purpose. So I'll tell you the why. I believe there's a couple reasons. The first reason is to tell us that when it comes to miracles, there is no formula. It's based out of intimacy and connection to the Father. So it's not like step one, find a blind man. Step two, have enough saliva to make mud. Step three, put it generously on their face. Step four, they're healed. No, like Jesus never heals a blind person like this ever again. And I believe the second reason is because the Father's heart is always to make his kids whole. Now, during that time, if you were blind and you were begging and asking people for, for money or whatever, people in that time would spit on you as they walked by because they associated sickness or, or, or any bad circumstances as to God's punishment on your life. So they probably assumed because you're blind, either your parents sinned, you sinned, someone sinned, and this is God's fair judgment on your life. You're cursed. So we spit on you to say that what God has done to you by cursing you is a good thing. But check this out. Jesus uses what other people have used to curse him to heal him. So in that moment, not only is this blind man physically healed, but emotionally healed, mentally healed, spiritually healed. Why? Because God is in the business of making his children whole. That's the kingdom. All of this, once again, Jesus does it as a man in obedience to the Father, in intimacy with the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's so important for us to get and understand tonight because outside of that, John 14, verse 12 will always seem impossible. Think about this. If Jesus did every single miracle he did on earth in the Gospels based on his divinity, we're screwed. Anyone here a God, right? Some of you are like, on Wednesdays only, bro, Right? Like, none of us here are gods. But if Jesus did every single one of his miracles as God, how can we even do what he did? Because we're obviously human. But once again, if Jesus did it the way he did it, 
It's setting a model for us. It's creating an example for us. It's stirring hunger within us to do what Jesus did. Amen. That's why Jesus does it, so that we could do what he does. So if that's the case, then we desperately need the Holy Spirit tonight. Because you could do the same thing over and over again and get the same old results or start relying on the Holy Spirit and let God do what only God can do. Just as a body without breath is a corpse, the body of Christ without the Spirit is a corpse. In John chapter 20, verse 21 through 22, this is uh, another part of Jesus' commissioning of his disciples. He, at this moment, he died, he rose again, he's with his disciples, and this is what he says. Jesus, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that powerful? Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's telling us tonight, the same way the heavenly Father sent the Son of God into the world is the way the Son is now sending us. Think about it. The same exact way God sent his Son, the Son is now sending us. Right? So we're sent by God. So if we're going to be sent by God, it's really important for us to understand then what's the next instruction. Amen? As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. And look at what he emphasizes. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Did you guys get that? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if in that moment, if Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Let's open up and study the word of God. We would say the most important aspect of being sent is studying the Word of God. Are you with me? I'm not against studying the Word of God, but we would say that's the most important part. If Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you, and he kissed his disciples on both sides of the cheeks, how many of you know that's how we'll be sending missions teams today? Right? Oh, you're going to Mexico this summer? Let me kiss you on both sides of the cheek. Why? That's how Jesus did it. But what did Jesus emphasize? Receive the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to understand that we're sent, but just as important to that is how we're sent. The way, the way that we're sent, the how we're sent is being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to really go and do what Jesus wants us to do, what he's called us to do, what he's commissioned us to do, if we're going to be sent the way that he was sent by the Father, then we need to receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because that's how we're going to do what he wants us to do. And as I mentioned before, man-sized solutions can't solve God-sized problems. We need him desperately. We need him desperately. But I want you to understand this. As desperately as we need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants us to. The Holy Spirit wants you to. He's jealous for all of you. He knows the worst about you, but still believes the best for you. And here's the thing that I've come to realize. The Holy Spirit is not just looking for a vessel and a vehicle for his purposes, but he desires fellowship, intimacy, friendship, and closeness with you. The Bible tells us don't quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Right? Don't uh, quench the Spirit and don't grieve the Spirit. Those are relational terms. He's wanting relationship. If the Holy Spirit is just a concept, if it's just a theological uh, uh, being that we know about, rather than someone we have intimacy with, we'll never truly enter into what God has for us. The Holy Spirit loves us as we are, and yet loves us too much to leave us as we are. Amen. That's the Holy Spirit. And I want you to get this. The Holy Spirit isn't just for pastors. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for those who are quote-unquote holy. But the Holy Spirit is for all believers. Amen? It's for all believers. It doesn't matter how long you've believed. It doesn't matter if you went to seminary, if you have a title or whatever. The Holy Spirit is available for all believers. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for all believers. I'm thankful that I'm not a feeler. I'm a believer. Amen? Right? I'm not a feeler. I'm a believer. All I have to do then is believe. Because the Holy Spirit is for all believers. A few years ago, um, 
after I graduated seminary, I was in a really uh, difficult season of my life, probably the hardest time I've ever gone through. And I was just struggling. I was dealing with, you know, depression, anxiety. I couldn't sleep at night. I had suicidal thoughts. And I just went through just a lot of hardships and heartaches and difficulty. And, and, and it was probably the darkest time of my life, if I'm honest. And, and even though I kept messing up and, and, and stumbling through that season, God was extremely faithful and he would always meet me. And I remember during that time as I was just going after God and, and, and you know, wanting to be healed and made whole, I ended up going to a monastery for a whole week with one of my seminary professors. Now, my seminary professor, he's crazy, you know, um, in, in, a, in a God-fearing way. And uh, he's crazy. And he goes to this, to this monastery like every two months just to pray and seek the Lord. And, and I, I remember uh, I took a class with him that summer um, on soul care. And I went to him and I said, hey, is it cool if I uh, join you next time you go to the monastery? And he said, sure, Sam, you can come. Uh, I'm actually going in a couple weeks, but uh, I'm not doing my usual week. I'm there the whole week. But if you could do that, you're more than welcome to come. And I was in a desperate place. I said, yeah, I'll be there. I'll, I'll go with you the whole week. And he was going there for the whole week because he was going to, you know, plan out his sermons for the next year, right? That's intense. I'm just going, you know, to be a Christian, you know. So I ended up going to this monastery and, and you know, it was like four hours from where I lived, middle of nowhere in Massachusetts. And I was just there and my only thing was, God, I need to meet you here. I'm, you know what I'm going through. You know what I'm struggling with. You know what I'm feeling. And, and I'm just going to be raw. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be real and just allow you to meet me as I am. So there were monks there, uh, Christian monks, and they would have like eight services a day. You know, they hated me because I would go to every service and I'll be the Asian guy in the back crying <laughs> like every service. And they're like, oh, when is this guy leaving? And I remember going and I would just ask God honest questions. God, how do I even know you love me? And God would be like, Sam, look at the cross. And I will get all mad because I'm not interested in an answer, you know. Like I'm just venting, you know. How dare you, like, you know, interrupt me while I'm venting. But don't go, I need you, you know. And I'm just there seeking God, being honest, processing my emotions. And while I was there, I was let, God, the Holy Spirit told me to fast that entire week. Now, if you look at me, you know I fast every day when I sleep. Only. Amen, right? That's the only time I fast. But God wanted me to fast the entire week. And I'm like, I think this is the Holy Spirit. I'll obey. So I'm like, all right, I'll fast the whole week. But my professor, he wasn't fasting at all. During the day, he like disappeared into the woods to like pray or something like that. And I would only see him at night. And that would be the only time I get a chance to talk to him. And here's the thing, he wasn't fasting, so at night, he wanted to go get ice cream every single day. Like, I don't know how you eat ice cream every single day, but this man did. And he would say, Sam, let's go get ice cream. And I'm not going to punk him out. I'm like, nah, man, I'm fasting. I'm like, sure, you know. So I go, and he would eat ice cream in front of me, and I'd just be sitting there like, ha-ha, you know, God is good. And um, yeah, bro. And, and that's just how the whole week went. And, and uh, the week was coming to an end. My professor, he left early. And the last day, I was like, I'm breaking this fast. Right? Come hell or high water, I'm eating this ice cream. Right? GPS didn't work then, but I memorized how to go to this local dairy farm. I'm like, I'm getting this ice cream. Right? Nothing is going to stop me. I'm in pursuit. Glory to God. Right? That's how pursuits. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I'm going to get this ice cream. So I go. Uh, as I'm driving there, I see like this uh, awesome nature spot. I'm like, all right, I'm going to eat this ice cream. And I'm going to go there and journal and worship. So I go, I eat my ice cream. I'm like, God, you love me because of the cross and ice cream. Amen. You know, after that, I, I drive back to the monastery. I go to this nature spot. I pull out and I'm just there, just sitting there with my journal. And um, I wanted to be alone, right? I wanted to be alone, but there was this older guy there fishing. He's like, oh, it's okay. I have headphones on. I'll just do my own thing. And I was just trying to do my own thing, but this man kept talking to me. Isn't that the worst? When you have headphones on, you're just trying to do your own thing, but people keep talking to you. So this guy kept talking to me, and, and truly, I don't know how it happened, but like two hours went by, and we're just best friends now. His name is Ralph. So me and Ralph, we're just talking, we're just sharing. You know, he asked me where I'm from. Uh, I said Jersey, you know, 
Asian joke? No? Okay, anyways. So I'm from Jersey. Okay, anyways, I'll just leave it alone. And, uh, you know, we're just talking, doing our thing. And we're, and before I know, like, we're like catching fish together too. Right? He's teaching me how to fish and we're talking. And, and I don't know how much time goes by, uh, two hours, three hours. And finally, he looks at me and says, Sam, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Ralph, what, what are you sorry about? He's like, Sam, I've been sitting in this chair by myself. I don't have an extra chair for you. I feel so bad that you've been standing this whole time. And I'm like, Ralph, I didn't even notice. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And then when I said that, he pulled up his pant leg to show me his ankle, and it was swollen the size of a grapefruit. He said, Sam, it's because my ankle's so bad. I'm like, Ralph, wow, what, what happened? He went on to tell me that 40 years ago, he was on a hunting trip. He was up in a tree. The branches broke, so he fell, and, and, and he shattered his ankle. It shattered so badly that the bones poked through the skin. Now, because this was so long ago, there wasn't cell phones or anything. So he told me that he was stranded there for eight hours until his friend found him. And when his friend found him, they got a helicopter to come and fly him out. And he said, for the last four decades, Sam, I've had multiple surgeries. I've had screws put in, screws taken out, but nothing has made my ankle feel better. I feel like the only option I have left is to fuse my ankle. He went on to tell me that the reason why he didn't want to fuse his ankle yet was because if he did, he could no longer have mobility in his foot. And if he doesn't have mobility, then he can't drive. He can't go anywhere. So he's been holding off on it. And he says, but Sam, I feel like it hurts so bad. It doesn't get any better. The only option I have left is to fuse it. I think that's what I'm going to do. And when he said that to me, I looked at him and I said, Ralph, that sucks. That's literally what I said. Ralph, that sucks. Like, I don't have anything profound to say. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. That that sucks. Ralph, can I pray for you? I believe God wants to heal you right now. Have you ever said something you regret before? Right? To be honest, like, I don't even know why I said that in that moment. You know, like, I'm struggling. I don't even know if God loves me. Maybe it was the ice cream speaking. I don't know what it was. But I said, God wants to heal you. Can I pray for you? And I've offered to pray for people before on the streets, people I didn't know. and most times they politely decline. It's like, oh, it's okay. You know, that's fine. You don't have to. But Ralph was like, sure, why not? So I was like, all right then, why not? So I remember I bent down low. I put my hand on his ankle and I prayed, you know, just a simple prayer. God heal him, you know, whatever. And as I prayed, the swelling instantly disappeared. The ankle that was swollen the size of a grapefruit disappeared like that. So I prayed, he shocked, but can I be honest? I was more shocked. Right? I was like, this worked, you know? And I was like, is this a joke? Is this a prank? You know, like what's going on? I'm not at church. I'm, I'm not uh, preaching. I don't have a microphone. We're, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm going through a difficult season. And this isn't supposed to happen. And Ralph, he's like, what? Oh, this is crazy. He's like walking around. He's so surprised that the swelling disappeared. He's like, Sam, that's crazy. The swelling is gone. But Sam, I still have a little bit of pain. And at that moment, I said to him, Ralph, sit right back down. I'm going to pray for you because I believe God wants to get rid of all your pain. That was my second regret, you know? Like, why couldn't I have just been satisfied with the swelling disappeared? Why why am I playing double or nothing right now with this man's ankle? But check this out. Ralph just experienced a miracle. Ralph was down for, I could have been like, Ralph, God wants you to fly, bro. Start flapping your arms. He would have done it because he just experienced a miracle, right? So when I said, Ralph, God wants to get rid of your pain, he's like, pray for me right now. So I sat back, uh, he sat back down. I, I knelt next to him. I put my hand on his ankle once again, and I prayed. Just a simple prayer. And after that, Ralph said, Sam, I felt the cooling sensation. The pain was an eight before, but now it's a one or a two. This is insane. And right now, I'm still trying to process this. Like, is this real? Like, what's going on? And then he's walking around, and he says, Sam, I'm going to go step, stand on that rock over there. It feels that good. As soon as he said that, I started to get a little scared. What if this is adrenaline? Like, what if this is, you know, like a mind trick? But he's like, Sam, this feels so good. There's like this like small boulder. He's like, I'm going to go walk on that thing. And that's when I'm like trying to get 911 on my phone just in case, you know. Like, I don't want to get sued. 
But he walks over, he, he, he steps on a bunch of rocks, he stands on the, this rock and he says, Sam, I haven't done this in years. The same foot that was swollen moments ago, he stands on it one foot like this. And he says, wow, God is real. In that moment, I had the tremendous honor and privilege to pray with him and lead him to Christ. Amen. You could give it up for the Lord. That's when I found out more about Ralph's story. Ralph wanted to tell me that he grew up as an orphan, that he never knew his parents, he never knew his father. But when he told me that, I told him, hey, even though you never knew your earthly father, you had a heavenly father who's always pursued after you. He told me about his first wife who passed away, his second wife who's in the senior home at the moment because she has Alzheimer's. And the reason why he was even fishing in that, uh, that afternoon was to catch food for widows in his neighborhood. I mean, that's the kind of guy Ralph was. And we, we talked, we embraced, we hugged, we prayed together. And the last thing he said to me is, Sam, I'll never forget you. Sam, I'll never forget you. This world needs more people like you. Those were the last words he said to me. But I want you to know this. There's nothing special about Sam Wong. There's nothing special about me. I'm just foolish enough to believe that God is who he says he is. Amen. That his word is true. That the Holy Spirit is with me. That if the Holy Spirit can use me, how many of you know that he could definitely use you? All you need then is faith for more. Faith for more. Now, I've prayed for people and I've seen people get healed. We've seen many people get healed at pursuit before. God is moving. I believe God's going to heal some people tonight as well. But I've also prayed for people that didn't get healed. I've even prayed for people where they said, Pastor Sam, it got worse after you prayed for me. And I'm like, listen, I ain't the healer, dog. Like, you know, like, I don't know. But no matter what the result is, I still want to have faith for more. Amen. I don't want to settle with just one miracle I saw, one miracle I experienced, but I want to continually press forward, continually pursue. Why? Because there's always more available in the kingdom. Jesus says that not only will we do the same things that he did, but we'll do even greater. There's more available. There's more of his kingdom to be experienced. There's more of his kingdom to be established. There's always more and I want faith for that more. And I believe tonight you're here because you are hungering for more. You might not have the words. You might not have the language. But I believe God brought you here tonight because he wants to fill you with his very presence. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. I think about that. How many of you know Jesus when he walked out that grave? To be honest, I don't even know if he walked out, you know? He could have been like, Stone, get out of the way. He could have floated out, you know? I mean, he like walks through walls, you know? So he could have done whatever. But when Jesus walked out that grave, it was because the Spirit raised him from the dead. Amazing. But the Bible tells us that same very Spirit now lives in you. It lives in you. It lives in you. It lives in me. It lives in us as his people. That's what we have access to. And yet so many times we just want religion. We just want to settle for less. But I believe tonight God wants to stir our faith for more because there's more. The Holy Spirit, he's not going to leave at the first sign of temptation, at the first sign of struggle, at the first sign of failure because he's faithful to dwell in you till the end. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And I believe tonight he wants us to experience him on a new level, to encounter him on a new level, to be filled with him on a new level. I want you to know being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time thing. Because we see in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Did you know that tomorrow is actually Pentecost? Right? The day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the upper room, 120 people gathered world was never the same again. 
right? The Holy Spirit, they were filled with that Holy Spirit in that moment. The Bible tells us wind blew, people spoke in tongues, people started prophesying, people started getting a fire for God. And the same Peter who denied Jesus to a little girl only 50 days earlier is now preaching to crowds. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But chapters later, the Bible tells us they were filled once again. Being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time event. It's a journey. It's a joy. It's an adventure. God fills you so that he can spill you wherever you go. He puts the dove on you so that the dove can land on other people around you. So the filling of the Holy Spirit tonight isn't the end-all, be-all, but it's the process. It's another step to more and more that God has for us. Amen. There's no limit to the Holy Spirit you can have tonight. I want you to know you can have as much of God as you want tonight. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. This is Jesus teaching his disciples on prayer and about the Holy Spirit. This is what he writes. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So tonight, what we're going to simply do stir up our hunger, stir up our faith, right? Because faith comes by hearing the word. We just proclaim the word of God. And we're going to respond. We're going to stir up that faith, stir up that hunger. And we're going to ask and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to ask him to come and we're going to wait for him to come. But I want you to get this. Waiting isn't passive. Waiting isn't just twiddling your thumbs, scrolling through Instagram. Because waiting is a posture of seeking in the kingdom because the early church waited for the promise because Jesus told them I want you to wait for the promise I want you to wait for the gift and how did the early church wait they gathered every single day in the upper room praying and seeking God waiting isn't passive it's seeking the Lord as they pursued God as they waited on God the Holy Spirit came and tonight we're believing that the Holy Spirit's going to come amen that the Holy Spirit is going to come, right? So we're going to come to the Lord tonight with an expectation that he's going to come, but we're going to lay down all of our agenda. Holy Spirit, you could do whatever you want. Move however you want. If he moves, he might move with tears. He might move with conviction. You might sense a fire burning. Some of you might even pray in tongues. Some of you might just start laughing, jumping up and down, worshiping, getting on your knees, it doesn't matter how he moves. We just want him to move. We don't have to fake anything. We're going after the authentic tonight. It's not about an experience. It's not about formulas. It's not about doing this, this, and that to get this kind of result. It's not praying a certain way. It's just coming to God honestly as we are in faith. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We owe the world an encounter with God. Amen. We owe the world an encounter with God. But the truth is, you can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't reproduce who you are not. So I believe tonight God wants to give us a fresh encounter so that we could give that to the people around us. Because the world needs an encounter. We owe them an encounter. But we can't give what we don't have. I believe God's already moving in this place. He's stirring in your hearts. He's stirring in your spirits. But get this, just as much as you want God, God wants you even more tonight. So once again, you can have as much of God as you want tonight. And we're going to go after it with all that we have. We're going to pray and believe that the fire of God is going to fall. Amen. But here's the thing. Fire doesn't fall on empty altars. It only falls on sacrifice. And tonight we're going to present ourselves, as it says in the Bible, Romans chapter uh, 12, as living sacrifices. Fire doesn't fall on empty altars. It only falls on sacrifice. And tonight we're going to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Like Kevin led us earlier, we're going to surrender it all in response to what he's doing because there's always more. If you have faith for more, I want to invite you to just stand up to your feet right now. Wherever you are, don't wait for the person next to you. Don't worry about the person behind you. This is you and the Lord. You know that God is moving. 
And if you have faith for more, just rise to your feet right now. And you're here tonight and you're saying, Pastor Sam, I, I need the Holy Spirit. I want more of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I've experienced him before, but I don't want to live off of yesterday's encounter. I don't want to live off of yesteryear's experience. I need a fresh filling of the Spirit right now. I need a fresh touch of the Lord right now. God, I want faith for more. I want to respond to you tonight in faith. I want to present myself to you to experience the Holy Spirit. If that's you, you've already stood up. Take the next step right now, and I want you to come to the altar right now. Come to the front right now. We're just going to press in together. If you're coming, just come, stand, whatever you need to do to respond to God. And we're going to believe that he's going to move tonight, that he's going to fill us tonight. So just come. God is moving. You don't have to bring or come in a sermon. Just come as you are. Come with all the joy. Just keep coming forward, right? Don't be passive. Don't be afraid. You're already stood up. You're already moving forward. If you're going to stand, if you're going to move up, you might as well come all the way up. If you're going to respond, you better respond all the way because God is going to move tonight. If If you're here kneeling, standing, whatever, can we just start lifting our voice right now to the Lord? We're going to ask Him to come. We're going to present ourselves as a living sacrifice before God and say, God, I want faith for more. God, I don't want to settle for less. I don't want to live a life of compromise. I don't want to live a life of just going through the motions. But God, I must have more of you tonight. Jesus, you said that we will do the same things that you did, but even greater. You said it was for our benefit that you're going to the Father because only then will we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God, we are responding to you tonight in faith and we're asking that your gift of the Holy Spirit would come right now. The fire would fall. Come on, let's stir up our faith right now. Start lifting your voice. Start creating an atmosphere of faith. We're going to ask and pray and contend together that fire would fall in this very room tonight, in this sanctuary, that this meeting place, that this gathering becomes a holy moment where God's people have a fresh touch, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Come on, start lifting your voices right now. Start asking God to fill you. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.